you are listening to Keith James. He's your dad. Hello and welcome back to this very special Christmas edition of Tunes Britannia with me, Keith James. We're talking about our favourite Christmas singles of all time. And I'm pleased to announce that I've actually got a very special guest on the line. Someone who may be very familiar to many of you in Essex across the country. Uh, Johannes Vonk from Johannes Vonk and the Clockheads. Johannes, how are you doing? Thank you very much, Keith. Uh, I can tell you I'm, I'm very well. It's a beautiful day here in, uh, in Rotterdam in the Netherlands. And uh, it's great to be on your show and uh, speaking to some of your fans. Uh, I know that uh, the, the Clockheads, uh, me, Johannes Vonk, we have lots of fans. Over in the UK, we have many happy memories uh, touring in the UK. We've been to, you know, all these towns like uh, Leonsi, Skegness, uh, Dartford. We have great memories in a lot of these places, so it's really great to know that uh, there are still people out there interested in our music. Well, it's great to have you here, honestly. And uh, I understand that you've uh, put out a Christmas single. You've, you know, you've gotten back together with the Clockheads after all these years, and you've come out with this Christmas single. Why now? What's brought it on? Yeah, yeah. We, so we decided to get the Clockheads back together this year to do this uh, Christmas single because it's been such a tough year for everybody, and we think that uh, people need cheering up, you know, something. And we had this idea many years ago, 1986, we wanted to do a Christmas single, but we didn't have the time, we didn't have the energy, and uh, this idea, it sat on the back burner for all of these years, and then... Uh, the clock hedge broke up, uh, unfortunately, after we lost uh, Mohammed in that tragic uh, jet ski accident. But this year, we decided it was the year to get it back together, to make this single. And uh, we were able to get uh, Mohammed's widow, Martina Vandenwald, in on the, on the recording. So that's great. It's kind of like he's there in spirit, you know. And uh, we just really hope that people like it. That really is a great story behind this track. Uh, I know that it's called Stand on the Christmas Honk, uh, and we'd like to get it on for you. So without further ado, after more than 30 years off of the airwaves, this is Johannes Vonk and the Clogheads, Stand on the Christmas Honk, featuring Martina Vanden Vout. Thank you so much, Keith. Merry Christmas. Put out your shoes, Santa's bringing treats. He's in his sleigh with his friend Black Pete. Polished for all, so there'll be no tears. A honk ball bat for some young Turk vampire. Christmas time is coming. Christmas time is coming. Christmas time is coming. To Holland, oh yeah. Stand on the Christmas home. It's Christmas time with Johannes Vaughn. Stand on the Christmas home. Come put on your Christmas clothes. Stand on the Christmas stand on the Christmas Hello, welcome back to this free episode of TF. It is me, your host, uh, Riley. I forgot my own name briefly for a moment there. I'm joined by everyone. Every single Full one. House. Full house. Oh, it's me, Charlie Palmer. <laughs> yeah, that's right. 
we've, every we've cast member who's ever been a member of the cast, even yeah. if they, 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 they slinked off, we have them here. They're all it's, in the studio. Yeah, just right. breaking tier three lockdown rules. It's a Christmas special where all your favorite characters are back and we're going to talk about all of them. And who, Mark Thatcher. <laughs> Merry, um, Merry Christmas, everyone. Eh? <laughs> I hope you're having a nice, a nice bride to celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior. <laughs> right. And... And joining us uh, to celebrate Christmas, uh, because this is going to be full Christmas episode, no tech company discussion here. Uh, it is Wolf Parade and Operators, Dan Beckner. Dan, how's it going? I'm good. I'm good. I'm uh, I'm bunkered down in uh, in Montreal, where it's uh, now sub-zero and will remain this way until probably early June. So, Oh, God, I miss Canada. It's the best. Thank you for coming to um, our office Christmas party. That's really nice. Thanks for inviting me. It's great. Yeah, that's and, and, and hey, who's that over there? It's Nate and Milo wearing a lampshade on their head and with a, a necktie that's worn, right. also quite, um, let's say, uh, 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 in, in an unusual way. And they're working on a Christmas song. Yeah, Nate and I are really drunk. We're making out. It's great. <laughs> all of all of the fans' predictions about us have come true. Our creative process has been thrown for a loop, but we we are trying to have a Johannes Vonk themed Christmas song out to you That's sooner right. rather than later. So we're working on it. <laughs> Just spending hours EQing free, sa- slay- free sleigh bells samples. Yeah, it's uh, harder than you'd, you'd think. I, uh, I'm also uh, in the process of mixing down like a Christmas song for Patreon, for the operators Patreon that Dev and I wrote. Mm. And Yesterday, like most of uh, the last part of recording was taken up by downloading sleigh bell samples and then filtering out like as much high end as possible. <laughs> it's, it's good to know that that uh, even even a successful and accomplished musician also goes through the same stupid process that we do because we're yeah. just sort of like, what is Ableton and how does it work? But we're doing the exact same thing right now. I love the idea that you've accidentally made a really bleak Christmas song by <laughs> sampling stuff from the group sleigh bells. <laughs> Oh fuck! I misunderstood the instruction. It is a super bleak Christmas song. Like we we wrote it, and then uh, once it finally started settling into a mix, I listened to it back last night, and I was like, "This song is really fucking sad." It's uh, mm. it's very grim. Those are the best Christmas songs. Yeah. Um, and you know what? There is a certain a little a little Swedish company out there uh, oh, that like wants you <laughs> based, yeah. based, based based in Milan. Yeah, a certain- Swedish company was also <laughs> what if that? Uh, yes, there is a little Swedish company out there that wants uh, that activity of um, painstakingly mixing down different sleigh bells uh, so you can create the perfect holiday mood. They want you to be doing that 24-7 so you don't starve. That's right. We are talking about Spotify. It is the Spotify special. Yeah, we thought we'd take um, a break from our usual yeah. uh, like tech company thing of doing like Amazon, of doing BlackRock, of doing a lot of highly financial stuff for an industry which is much more relaxed and much less exploitative, the music industry. <laughs> <laughs> um, exactly, so, yeah. Welcome to your Trash Future Wrapped. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Future, uh, you you listen to Honkball Hoofdeklasse four hundred times. <laughs> That's right. Disappointing. Um, you allowed yourself to be uh, to be defined by one genre, and the genre is Johannes Vonk. That's right. Um, the best genre. So uh, I'm gonna. I'm, what I'm gonna do is I have Spotify's mission statement in front of me. Oh boy, uh, Dan. Oh no. I, I'd like to start with you after I say this, and tell me, do you think how, what percentage of bullshit is this? Okay. So here it goes. 
Our mission, okay. unlock the potential of human creativity by giving a million creative artists the opportunity to live off their art and billions of fans the opportunity to enjoy and be inspired by their creators. Now, you're an editor. How do you change that statement to be more accurate? Or also just like less clunky? Uh, I love the idea that it's a million. There's, there's a finite number of artists. And if you fail to meet their metrics, you just don't get to be an artist anymore. So it's like, listen, Greg Kinband, your, your hit song Jeopardy is not getting enough likes or, <laughs> or streams on Spotify. You're no longer a musician. It doesn't exist anymore. Also, it, also, it defines That's a right. ratio between fans and artists of one to 1,000, which is very cool. That's right. Yeah. That's very yeah. weird. Every time you unsub from the Patreon, one of the Trash Shooter hosts gets taken out back and shot like old Yeller. <laughs> <laughs> right. uh, so, Dan, what do you think of that? I would give that statement um, like 10 Pinocchios, I think. <laughs> Oh boy. Well, it feels like the operating clause here is live off their art, and uh, we have come to discover that that is not always a thing that Spotify delivers, if at all, ever. Oh, Spotify does allow some people to live off their art, but it's <laughs> the art uh, Joe Rogan. mostly the uh, CEO, yeah, Joe Rogan and the CEO and the Obamas. And apparently a production studio in, in Stockholm that makes plinky plunky coffee shop sad girl music. And I'm not saying that to sound misogynist. It's just it's a style they've determined is really, really lucrative. And they also pay them like one one hundredth of what they pay normal artists. So hilarious in that regard. Yeah, I hate um, it when men dismiss women as plinky plunk. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Classic you know the style misogyny. I'm talking about. So, uh, Dan, I'm, I'm interested. What is your what is your kind as an as an actual you know, creator, unlike we sort of, you know, you know studio idiots. Uh, what is your experience with Spotify actually being to sort of give it a personal tinge before we go into all the facts and figures? Uh, well, I've been playing music professionally for 15 years. So like I was one of maybe one of the, the part of the movement that really, uh, how do I say this? Like benefited extremely from the first wave of uh of of internet um sort of openness and the ability to promote sort of underground artists I'm, you know i'm talking about like like the early 2000s pitchfork explosion but then having seen the just fucking drastic decline of record sales and the way that uh the way that spotify has actually changed um even the even the touring industry it's it's been really bleak. It's it's not great. <laughs> I mean, I was thinking about this. Just ask a quick question, Dan. That when you're you when Wolf Parade's first album came out in two thousand five, if I'm not mistaken, in in order to buy or stream music online, your only option was the iTunes Store. It was or it was like one of the only major ones. And yeah. uh, I, I'm just wondering, like, how has that changed over time? Like, how is that? How is the the impact of people being able to buy music whenever or listen to music whenever? Uh, like measurably affected, you know, you, if I, if it can be so crass, the bottom line. Well, I think, I think once streaming was introduced, all of those, you know, like uh, personal download, you know, purchasing off iTunes store that, that completely dropped off. So uh, in the, in the, in the beginning, it was, it was really good for us. You know, if we didn't have sort of a distribution network that would allow us to say, get the record into a store in Florida for instance, you know, uh, someone could just download it, buy it, you know, from I, from iTunes directly. Mm -hmm. With streaming, that's that's completely gone. So, um, and and I think the the thing to remember here, and the thing that we're going to sort of sort of go into about this is that this is really the story of the enclosure of an entire sphere of activity 
by a platform company that has been again able to just like you know borrow at like you know three cents for a billion dollar loan or whatever and has never had to make a profit ever and then the sort of squeezing of that space so just for a little table setting here in 2019 streaming generated 11.4 billion dollars in revenue it was actually the majority of global recorded music revenue overall it was 56% and Goldman Sachs predicts it'll go to 37 billion by 2030. And most, but most of that growth is going to come from like Spotify, Universal Music, mm, yes. Sony, and Warner fighting amongst themselves. Um, and the interesting thing, I think, here, right, we, we talk about internet openness early on, is that Spotify was founded specifically by these two guys, Daniel Ek and Martin Lorenzen uh, in mm. Sweden, because they wanted to create a legal digital music platform. This is a quote from them. Uh, to respond to the growing online challenge of music piracy in the early 2000s and therefore allow artists to live mm, off their mm. art. <laughs> and yet it sounds almost as though, because this is really weird, a tech company has never said the total opposite of what the case is. It's never happened in the past. No. Um, where it was actually more viable to have like a comfortable living off of being a musician when piracy was much more rife than it is now. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, uh, I remember in the, in the years leading, like the, let's say the 24 months leading up to the release of the first Wolf Parade record, everyone I knew was who were huge music fans. Uh, everybody in the sort of community in Montreal was obsessed with downloading bootlegs off LimeWire, you know, which, we were all being told was destroying the music industry. Linkin Park num.exe. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Or like an early release of the spoon record or something like that, you know? And, and looking back on it, I think that just drove fandom and it drove people to go to shows and purchase legally purchase the record or, or just buy merch. Basically. I felt, I felt like it was more of a, it was more of a fan oriented uh, appreciation of the band as opposed to a sort of algorithmically generated stream that just goes mm. into your ear and out the other. You know? But you also, you had to seek stuff out on LimeWire, right? And like, even even up mm. to the early days of torrenting, where Spotify, you just kind of get stuff served to you. Exactly, yeah. And part of, part mm. of that getting stuff is, you know, wrapped up in Spotify's uh, fight to pay any kind of livable mechanical royalty rate. So... So a lot of uh, a lot of streaming is based on whether you actually search for the thing or not. You know, no, no algorithm has ever given me the Simpsons pornography that I was looking for. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just found it funny because it wasn't until um, I read some of the source materials that Riley put together for this episode that I noticed it sort of explained a question that I had had, which is uh, two bands that were mentioned in some of the, the source materials. One was, um, or rather, this one that was mentioned in, in the article you sent me was uh, Galaxy 500. Yeah. And their song Strange, which to me, it's a good song, but it doesn't really sound like the rest of their catalog, is their top Spotify song by a huge margin. Similarly, uh, one of Pavement songs, Harness Your Hopes, which I think is like a, was it like a B-side or it was like on the, when they re-released one hey, of their albums. Obscure. like it was. Yeah, it wasn't on the the initial release of the album that is from what I think was Terror Twilight, but I can't remember which album it's, it was. Uh, Terror um, Twilight, yeah, yeah, it was like an unreleased B side. And I guess it's because of the fact that like it somehow got worked into the algorithm, and now it's their biggest song, similarly by like an order of magnitude. Uh, and it's not it's not a story like um, you know you'll hear bands where like something will be placed in a in a show, and so like you know a random song becomes really popular. I think Blonde Redhead had that happen, but in their case, like 
in Galaxy 500's case, it's I don't think that people are that that's giving them as much revenue because of the fact that it's it's being suggested as opposed to people you know digging in and looking for their music, which is just wild to me because it's like you can as a fan if I didn't know anything about the industry if I looked at those numbers I'd be like well I'm glad they're doing well damn that's a lot of streams but then you find out they're not really getting paid for any or what they're getting paid is such a paltry amount that um, I remember seeing I think you may have shared this Dan but. Uh, um, what is it? Allison Milan, I think Milan from uh, from Stars mentioned that they had had something like ten million streams over the course of the calendar year, and they were basically every member of the band was eligible for the like Canadian income relief, yeah. due to COVID because they weren't making any money from it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, my my partner uh, and writing partner and operators, Devoika, uh, she just posted something very off the cuff about her royalty statements for one of the songs that we had uh, were collecting on this year. You know, like. Uh, and I had millions of streams and, you know, she's like, I got X amount and the just a flood of comments of people uh, defending Spotify's, uh, <laughs> Spotify's uh, payout system was mind boggling, you know, like. It's cause they, they want the treats. They love they love the treats. We love we love the treats. I don't, I never want to have to think about like what I mean, music I'm getting. I mean, look, you can either get paid or you can get paid in clout by being at the top of the beast mode playlist. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I know which one I would want personally. And, and and that but that's the the anger that's the same anger that comes from I think a lot of the you know the Elon Musk guys, which is like, no, I like it. It's cool. Yeah, don't Stop don't, don't tell me I can't have like. my future just because it's inhumane or like unsustainable. Yeah. Don't tell me that shit. I mean, I, mm. I I promise I'm not just bringing up Canadian bands. But <laughs> a, a story that I can recall is is that ser- seriously when I was uh, 16, 17, um, I remember I was yeah, about 17. I remember hearing the new pornographers for the first time, and it was somebody was playing a mixtape in a record store because they didn't have uh, their first album, Mass Romantic, in and getting that album in 2003 in Indiana was basically impossible. And I was finally able to find it on like an FTP server that I knew through a friend who had uh, ha- had an MP3 rip of it. But I like went on to become a huge fan of theirs. I think I've bought every album of theirs in you know, a physical copy. I've seen them live before. I don't know. It was just, I really liked that song, Mass Romantic. I don't know. It obviously, it would have been a hell of a lot easier nowadays to find it. But also, I'm not saying like, oh, like, okay, you know, the, the, because that it made it harder that there was some more special fan connection. But it does. It, it it seems like if you're an uncritical consumer of the sort of Spotify model, everything about it is being told. You're being told this is all you need to do. You yeah. don't ever need to do maybe, anything. But maybe this. maybe Mass Romantic is easier to find now on purpose, but I think it's harder to find by accident, which is like. Very strange. It's one of these little ironies of Spotify is that you're not going to really overhear stuff in a record store anymore. And it, like, if, if you want to listen to like the new pornographers, there's every chance the algorithm will just put it under a Spanish techno playlist because of... Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Sing me Spanish techno. Yeah, yeah fucking right. Yeah, that's I deal with that problem. <laughs> <laughs> isn't, I mean, and yeah, I, I was going to say, like, just as a quick point, like, isn't one of the like main things that kind of Spotify sells, which is, you know, I see this tweet all the time about how like the uh, the like to um, what's it called, like it, it, like Fresh Find Mondays or something like that. Basically, it's like a playlist, um, a curated playlist for each user, which uses like the data of what your kind of favorite songs are for the week to like recommend you things that are similar. Um, and like the thing that I hear from or I see online sometimes is like, oh, like this playlist is really good because it's basically like recommending me um different versions of like the same song 
right? Yeah. It reminds me of the mall. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I mean, yeah, kind of. But like, I, I've I've listened to like a couple of those like recommended playlists that Spotify curates, like at the gym and stuff. When I just can't be bothered to find things, and like, it's fine. It's kind of just like the way that I consume it is very, very passive, and there's like not really any intention to it. And like, it will. It, it, uh, what I find, and I don't know whether this is the same with any anyone else, but what I find is that like it's very rare that I'll find a song that I actually like rather than one that I can just like tolerate or just like one that kind of just like passes me by like the way of discovering kind of new music that you actually want to be invested in seems to not be the way in which Spotify actually works. He's saying, would it surprise you to know that that's intentional? Uh, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. It would. I mean, like, what what I'm also more surprised about is the fact that there are so many songs that sound like Linkin Park and Jay Z's Num Encore. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> what if we could somehow game the algorithm to make that the Spotify sound instead of Billy <laughs> Eilish? Um, no, so there, all of that is actually intentional. And again, so the the question here of how to talk about Spotify is: there's lots of things that are make it quite like a lot of other sort of monopolistic um, monopolistic content companies, which are, you know, it's losing tons of money. It tries to recommend to as large a base of users as possible, um, as similar, a, a number of things that are as similar as possible to everything else they've ever taken in ever. And um, a lot of it behind the scenes is, let's say, very easily influenced by money. Hmm. Um, and so what I want to talk about, though, is a, l- a few of the things that make it a little different. So one of the things that I think is really fun about Spotify is who owns it. Um, yeah, a because, Swedish guy and an yeah, Italian two, guy. Two Swedish-Italian men. Two Swedish-Italian men. So the two founders, the two Swedish-Italians that own it, own 30%. Then the next 10% is owned by a company called Tencent Holdings. I don't think it's related to their holding. Um, and that's a Chinese investor, kind of like a soft bank, but specializing in technology entertainment and like kind of China Spotify. Then three asset management companies, Bailey Gifford, Morgan Stanley, and T. Rowe Price, and then the funny bit is that um, Universal and Sony, the two record labels, are the next biggest owner. Also, Spotify is their biggest customer, and Universal and Sony are Spotify's biggest supplier. Uh, That's incredibly <laughs> legal, surely. Every business is an Ouroboros now. That's how it works. <laughs> yeah. It's just the human centipede of wealth extraction from uh, creative <laughs> content. Like. Oh, yeah. So it's like the way to understand this, right? Because when Sony and Spotify negotiate, I'm sure they're all like, yeah. On the one hand, you know they are squeezing each other because like the growth in this and streaming is going to come from like spot the platforms eating the lunch of the rights holders, but equally they're all kind of have the same interest, which is their professional wrestling, and then uh, the musicians are the canvas that is constantly getting a body slammed yes. onto it. <laughs> mm. um, where because the and, and this is not there's even more complication here right because Tencent Holdings owns ten percent of Universal which then also owns three and a half percent of Spotify Spotify owns nine percent of Tencent Music Entertainment which is in turn part owned by Universal's main rivals Warner and Sony pinning uh, red <laughs> string to different things on my big wall yeah it's actually also- running out of string you're basically knitting a sweater yeah. at this point Alex. it's like it's like polyamory but corporate. And at the at the end of this chain, there is a, somebody who's spent you know like seventy five percent of their yearly income to like pro- quote unquote properly record an album and like maybe buy a van or like 
buy uh, visa papers for the United States so they could go play in New York City. And they're looking at a royalty statement that has like negative mechanical royalties on it. You know, like, like that's the back end of all this. But the competition is supposed to push the prices down. I don't understand how that works. It's supposed to be better for everyone. Mm. Didn't you see up there? Daniel X said he wants people to make a living. And yet the only people... Didn't he also recently say that musicians should just accept the fact they have to put out at least one album a year if they want to eat? Something along those lines? He did. He did. He... uh, uh, and I remember, I remember when that statement came out. Uh, I was talking to Arlen, a uh, drummer from Wolf Parade, who for years has been—he's been like, "We're just—he's like music, musicians are basically the canary in the coal mine for uh, what labor is going to look like for a lot of the rest of of North America." You know, like mm. you are doing—you are investing a lot of your own capital into creating something, and you are doing a thousand little jobs and getting paid. Uh, just fractions of a cent on what whoever you're selling them to is making, you know? Uh, so just, just digital peasantry. So Daniel Eck getting up and saying musicians need to, he used Taylor Swift as someone who is, uh, you know, a beneficiary of Spotify's algorithm. <laughs> Which, well, that's, cool. Maybe if everyone was a little more like Taylor Swift, then all musicians could be rich. Didn't you think of that? <laughs> Just the most galaxy brain dumb guy shit yet. The way I see it, you know, people used to go out and pay good money to see the bare naked ladies, and these days people only want to go on OnlyFans and look at bare naked ladies. (laughs) (laughs) What that reminds me of is there's like a sort of just complete, just brain worms conservative talk radio show host in the UK called Julia Hartley Brewer. And oh she boy. recently she recently tweeted out that was like, if workers want a better job, then they should just become the boss. Damn. <laughs> like, Why cool. didn't we think of this? Mm. <laughs> she's, she's describing the Soviet <laughs> Union. She's too stupid to realize that's what she's done. <laughs> I mean, it really does come down to it's like, yeah, there's going to be defenders of this model and of the platform because it's like, well, it's so easy for me to get the music that I want. So why is anybody complaining? Which is effectively the same thing as, you know, seeing people like DoorDash or uh, Seamless or drivers in the US, you know, who are getting next to nothing for the work they put in and be like, well, I've been eating some really great meals lately. I don't understand why they're complaining so yeah. much. And moreover, mm-hmm. I assume this process won't come for me because it hasn't yet. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I have a little more of the financial fuckery here. I don't have too much financial fuckery on this one, but there's a little more of this fun stuff. Remember how earlier I said that Morgan Stanley was one of the big owners? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So this is according to a 6K form that Spotify filed. Um, which was uh, subsequent to its last two fiscal quarters ago. So that was June. Quote, we have signed license agreements with certain music labels and publishers and podcast agreements with creators. Included in these agreements are minimum guarantees and spend commitments of approximately $3.6 billion over the next three years. The largest beneficiary of that agreement was Universal Music Group, which also owns Spotify, which also owns it. Um, and Morgan Stanley has also been named as the chief book as like the chief um, uh, book runner for Warner Music Group's IPO and UMG's IPO as well, and also agreed to loan Tencent Holdings one point one billion dollars in order to then buy ten percent of Universal on flotation. We love deals, don't we? There's just so many deals flying around. So many deals and- happening at once. I think musicians should just be excited to part. Like, this is the real music. It's all about the disclosure they don't make. It's jazz, baby. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. It's the The spaces between the investments. They call it the harmony of the spheres. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Invisible hand just plucking a walking bass line. 
um, is what's really happening here, right? Is that there are these three, there are these like three oligopolists, Universal, uh, Sony, and Warner. And they're basically just, their job is just own rights to music. And then they license those rights to Spotify. And if you remember Netflix, Netflix kind of did the same thing. Or it was this platform that bought rights to popular shows like Friends or what have you from other networks um, that then basically started squeezing them once they realized that they could just do this themselves because Netflix was going to put them out of business if they didn't like jack up the prices for their rights. And because this is, there is going to be a massive knockdown, drag out battle between the monopolist or the one of the, the platform oligopolists, that's Spotify, Apple Music, Tidal, blah, 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 mostly Spotify. And then on the other hand, the label oligopolists, so those three, the basically the, they're fighting to see who can hyper exploit musicians more, hmm. essentially. Um, and so on the, on the exploitation bit, right? we talked a, lo- a, a little bit uh, uh, earlier about how if you're a musician making, and you're not sort of constantly making music 24 hours a day and also marketing it and also promoting it and also like taking in a lot of data so that you make the perfect Spotify sounding music, you won't be able to live off your art. Um, how Spotify pays artists is a little bit counterintuitive. And I think a lot of people don't know about this. Um, where basically, Right. Um, as far as I understand it, and Dan, I, I welcome you to correct me if I'm wrong here. You pay your subscription, or the advertisers, you know, pay the advertising fee, and then Spotify pays all of its artists not on the basis of who's listening to what. So if I'm listening to All Wolf Parade or All Johannes Vonk and the Clogheads, and I pay my you know ten bucks a month, um, it won't go to the, to the artists I'm listening to in the proportion I'm listening to them. It goes to the most popular artists on the platform. So you get money in terms of what percentage of the listens are you overall? Yeah, that's right. right? It's pro rata. So yeah, that it it sucks. <laughs> yeah. That's insane. I had I fuck man. I thought I knew this shit, but I had no idea. Mm-hmm. So basically, if some if 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 we actually we don't have Johannes Funk and the Clogheads on Spotify, but if we did, and it was like and a, we will, and, so. it, and it was like a, a runaway success one month, that would effectively. If we took up a larger per percentage of the the streams than normal, that would mean other people were making less. Yes, that's right. That's insane. <laughs> and and the amount of money that you make, like if if I listen to only Johannes Vonk and the Clogheads, then point zero 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 one percent of that goes to you, and seventy five percent goes to I don't know BTS. Yeah, that's right. Yep. Awesome. No, BTS yeah. is good. They deserve everything they get. That's true. Okay, that is true. All right, BTS. They they're they're accepted from all other co- all the conversations about how this platform like creates a right. popular artist because it's whatever going you for do a, do a not transcribe this episode do not mention it. <laughs> yeah. we can guys- say is that Jungkook is a very cool guy we all like him yeah I actually you- didn't say BTS and if you thought you heard me say that you're mistaken yeah. BTS is a you, trope. You were actually. saying a uh, BSS broken That's social right. scene. Broken I mean, social scene. I mean, can I can I can I make yeah. a point as someone who's both been at the receiving end of this particular group group of sounds, but also will never mention this name. I did, yeah, in any capacity. No, I I only now have one testicle as a result of my posting. Um, I mean, these are also um, like Dan mentioned. Uh, Dan talked about uh, like how like fan like the nature of fandom like is changing. Um, as a result of kind of like technologies like Spotify and like these types of stands who, again, I will not mention the name of really sort of like exemplified that, right? Because they are also the ones who like have kind of made it their mission to get like, I don't even want to say game the algorithm, but kind of just like 
you know, um, pump up his well, that, that's where fan cams came from, right? Yeah, that's well, why if you do, if you see a viral post, there'll be a bunch yeah. of videos of BTS underneath it. And they to and get like, those plays. Yeah. And there was that whole thing about like, you know, we'll support like leftists on Twitter as long as you like stream, um, stream seven, uh, which like lots of them did. And I feel like, you know, this is also, this is kind of really indicative of like how technologies like Spotify have kind of like fundamentally like changed and, um, like almost made mechanic the process of like liking music or liking an artist. Yeah, it's part of a. I I think it also goes back to out, just the general outsourcing of promotion. You uh, like activate mm. these fan bases, right? You know, uh, mm. and I think with with the rise of Spotify, some this weird side effect uh, of it has been the outsourcing of that type of labor directly to the band. Whereas, like, if you sign a record deal and you're paying you know, 50% of your royalties to that record label every time they sell something. Before this paradigm, you would have a staff of people who are promoting your record, who are trying to engage people, trying to sell your record, basically. And now it's essentially like, well, get online and start posting and you're not going to get paid for it. Yeah. And if, and if yeah. you know, if this thing is a failure, uh, if you don't sell as many records as they as they had hoped, it's a lot of that blame is definitely offloaded on artists as well, mm. you know? It's- it sounds a bit like they've kind of done to music sort of what they've also done to comedy, which is that essentially any actual content creation that you do, so like being on TV or like uh, in comedy's case, like playing clubs and stuff, you effectively do uh, for a pittance in the expectation that you can make that back doing like other live work. Like it's basically a promotional activity you do for free in the hopes that you'll sell tickets and merch. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that, you know, that economic uh, system kind of flipped uh, in the last 30 years for for bands and that like your biggest chunk of the money pie used to be record sales and touring. You tour at a loss to promote the record. And then it flipped to the record is just a promotion for your tour. And now there's no touring and all that's left is streaming. Yeah. So. And now everyone's retraining to be in cybersecurity. Exactly. <laughs> that's right. Or a disinformation expert. Dan, I remember you uh, just uh, in a conversation you and I had that you said that you, you even noticed it that the touring numbers, like the ticket sales, attendance, that merch sales, et cetera, when you were touring were you know commensurate with the same success you'd had previously but that you could absolutely notice a huge drop off in the record sales so like what would notionally be a successful tour for an album uh you just weren't seeing that anymore because it had been replaced by streaming almost entirely yeah that's that's absolutely true i mean you know wolf parade wolf parade's a good example uh our last tour we were on average playing for playing for crowds and venues twice the size of what we were playing in uh, 2010 for the Expo 86 tour. But our record sales are a third of what they were in 2010. Jesus. So, so like we're playing for twice as many people in New York and we're selling, you know, tons of merch at the merch table, but overall record sales are down like, yeah, I'd say two thirds. And I, I think it's it's worth here actually just sort of remembering what Daniel, why this company was founded and what Daniel X said, which is that it's supposed to stop piracy mm-hmm. so that artists can continue to live off of their art. But what has actually happened is, and, and again, because I think a lot of these companies justify their own existence by asking you to completely forget 
even like 10 years ago history. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Mm. Where remember there was the, all the campaign campaign after campaign against people just sharing files <laughs> on the basis that the musicians will all go broke. You'll destroy the whole concept of music. It'll be gone. It'll, they'll be like, you know, no one can afford to do it anymore. And yeah. you know, it's sort of the same thing. It's just, instead of like, now they're like, know, actually million, it's cool when we do it <laughs> instead of a million internet, uh, an internet people, you know, um, downloading Lincoln park, num.exe it's two guys. And then like three banks that all own each other. And this is so much it, better. Banks, banks love rap and rock remixes. What can I say? The one percent are hoarding ninety nine percent of the Lincoln Park Numb.exe, <laughs> and the working people of this country are left with nothing but gigawatt slash faint, and that is no good. <laughs> the thing is, right? Is everyone hates the beneficiaries of this current system and always did? Yeah. Well, it, 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 it's hilarious to me because I think about bands because you know I was uh, I was in university from '03 to '07 and I think about the bands that I was into at the time that I discovered um, because of file sharing and I mean like just just thinking off the top of my head like uh, yeah I mean Wolf Parade was one of them also Spoon um, Blonde Redhead uh, Interpol bands like that I mean I went to school in Indiana so it wasn't like we had like a massive music scene um, for performance we did for record labels for some reason but not for um, yeah. not for for performances and you know I was thinking about this that like those are all bands that I went on to buy buy shit from I bought their records I saw them live that kind of a thing whereas you know the kind of bands who had the in my from what I can tell had the the sort of studio or the um, label backing to do things like big court cases and stuff to stop file sharing things along those lines i'm thinking of bands like metallica or green day they're doing fine from streaming but the bands that wound up being hurt by the sort of like piracy defeat valve if you will uh wound up being the bands who were pro- who I, I from what i can tell were gaining some degree of fan base and you know sort of like following from the fact that people were, were sharing their music but then also there was this sort of implicit I'm going to say obligation, but just interest in then seeing them live or buying the record. I mean, TV on the radio wanted to be really popular, but when they were like not that big of a thing in 2003, 2004, I found out about them because of, of FTP communities, like where people had, you know, pre-torrent where people had, um, you know, they were hosting servers at home and you could get albums that way. And like, it's wild to me when I think about who wound up being able to navigate that. And, you know, not every band has the kind of music they can sell to like, you know, to be used in a, in like, a FIFA game or something like that. It's the equivalent of, um, I don't know if any of you guys were ever into hardcore or, you know, like this sort of underground, like heavy music scene, but uh, it's the equivalent of hardcore or like death metal tape trading where these FTP servers could realistically make a a small regional band uh, into like a national touring outfit that could support itself. I wanted to look about this, right? We always talk about how, right, when we talk about these tech companies um, that are sort of just destroying and sucking the lives out of uh, different sort of kinds of of social life, right? We say, "Don't, don't forget, it wasn't better before. It wasn't better before. It's just worse now. Don't be nostalgic. But in this case, it was better before. It was. It was better. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this is a case where you should be nostalgic for that. <laughs> because that was that that was yeah. it was a way to get the same effect essentially. Like you know, they, this are- is what they took from you, but this is Interpol turn on the yeah. bright lights. Dotty Yeah, and, the, <laughs> and it's not That's like right. it's a fucking changing of the guard or anything like that. It's not like you know, like a certain mm-hmm. style of music or class of musician uh, rose to the top or got you know, or conversely got outmoded. It's literally the same fucking people who were making most of the money are still making most of the money. 
Where is my illiterate Russian P2P server? That's what I want to know. <laughs> um, the, the only difference really is the same people are still making most of the money. It's just a different company is muscling in on them. Yeah, the, the, the only difference is that everything is slightly worse, and also there are two Swedish men now. <laughs> Swedish Italian yeah, cool. men, the Meatball Coalition. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, also, also when you were like downloading stuff from LimeWire, there'd always be like that fun moment where you weren't quite sure if you were getting your like Jar Rule album or not, um, and, you just, and you just don't, and you just don't get that with Spotify anymore, right? Well, because that was an actual thing where, like, there were artists who got big by gaming LimeWire, where they would <laughs> upload their music and put it under the name of something that was really popular. So loads of people would download it and be like, "Oh, this is cool, actually." <laughs> that still happens on Spotify. Well, I wanted to talk, Riley. You want to trans- transition into talking both about the algorithm and their um, their f- financials. But I mean, one thing that people always say that I've seen people say is like, "Well, why doesn't Spotify pay more in, in royalties?" And I mean, as I understand it. The reason why they did a direct listing on the New York Stock Exchange and not an IPO is because like their fundamentals aren't that great. Yeah, so it's basically right. Like there's a life cycle of every um, of every sort of big tech company like this where they're willing to lose money almost forever. That's like table stakes at this point. Like no, that shouldn't surprise you because the model is to grow and capture as many users as possible. So get as many people dependent on you for your thing, and then jack up prices later. So Netflix oh, is now the heroin dealer business model. So Netflix has flipped into jacking up prices mode, um, and so what happens is if you fl- if you because you you need the that you have the money that you've gotten initially invested in you to like get you there. If you need a little more, you might decide to list on the stock exchange so you can sell shares so you can keep going. But once you are publicly traded, then you release your earnings and shareholders demand. Demand you increase your earnings somehow. They demand revenue. Yeah, you can't just and keep so, self-dealing to Warner and Universal. Yeah. And so what happens is once and is that things get weird once you list publicly. And so after 2018, Spotify has had tons and tons of pressure on it to try to like not just 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 freely spend billions a year on a loss-making enterprise for the foreseeable future. Uh, they've had one profitable quarter, just like a lot of these have. But other than that, it's never been profitable. It's never had a profitable year. And so they have all of these crazy new ideas as to how they're going to actually make the company profitable. And wouldn't you know it, most of it involves screwing over musicians. Oh, yeah. Are we are we going to talk about uh, discovery mode, Spotify discovery mode? <laughs> you and me, baby, we ain't nothing but musicians. Uh, so let's pay Spotify a bunch of money to... Um, <laughs> to uh, make people listen to us uh, when they don't realize they've been bought. Uh, Dan, can you tell us a little bit about Discovery Mode and why it's different from Payola? As far as I can tell, it's not substantively different (laughs) than Payola at all. The only difference is that instead of like an emissary of the record label going to like a radio station in Cleveland with a fucking duffel bag full of cash, it's uh, you, the artist, are um, taking a reduced royalty rate. Which is fucking laughable considering the rates they already pay. Half a cent to, to quarter of a cent. Yeah. And and in the, so discovery mode is basically like you give up some of your royalty rate to Spotify to allow them uh, to promote you on playlists. But in the fine print, it, it basically says they don't guarantee that this is going to work. Uh, they will take your money. They don't even guarantee that they're going to playlist you on specific playlists. So... This this rollout came after like uh, after a sort of day of action on the internet. Uh, 
about I, th- I think it was from it was from the uh, United Music Workers Association. Uh, basically, you know, a list of demands saying pay artists more, and Spotify turned around and did this. What if we paid them less? Which, which <laughs> I think just proves that like you cannot negotiate or shame. Uh, you can't negotiate with or shame these people. They don't fucking it's care. A, it's back in the beanstalk ass economy, which is like, hey, everyone can get these magic beans, and maybe it'll work, or maybe you've just made no money from this song that you really hope. It's like it's not even. It's not even like you're paid in exposure. It's like you're paid in. You might get exposure. It makes it, you, you can make some great shoes from it, though. Yeah, yeah. Totally. It's it's it, it, it's funny to me because years ago, before I started podcasting, and when I was uh, I was in school, I was um you know working in New York. I worked for a guy who ran a, a, a chain of restaurants, and I was just helping him with figures. And he used Seamless, which is sort of like for British listeners, it's sort of like American Deliveroo <laughs> or in reverse. And um, they do a similar thing where like you could opt to take even less of a cut of the profit you would get. Like they would take a charge a much bigger commission, but they would guarantee that you would be like top first page listed when people search for different you know style of cuisine for example but it was completely unsustainable because obviously restaurants make such small margins to begin with and you know especially in a place like New York where rent is obscene um you know you basically could only last a couple of months before it really started to bite and you had to go back to the re- reduced promotion but like less commission taken and you just the idea their notion was oh well we'll sell we'll get so many people to be big fans of your restaurant that then like you know it'll be worth it in the end because they'll become repeat customers and like it, it really is magic beans when you get down to it because it's selling you this idea that people will become such devotees that it'll be worth it in the end but it's like that that's not first of all that's not guaranteed and it seems that even if that does happen overall you're, you're probably not going to see an appreciable increase in uh, in the overall royalties or revenues unless like th- it's just like a one in a million occurrence that you happen to become massively popular, which I don't really see happening. Yeah, you become the next Rick Astley on Spotify. It is um, it's all it's like a tontine, right? So any listen you get, that's money someone else doesn't get. So you're basically it's the opposite of collective bargaining. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> It's it's interesting actually one of the one of the like economic things that I find really fascinating about the way music has gone is that it it's completely different depending on what kind of artist you are like if you make music for people who are under 50 like you're fucked right it's this shit it's, you're just you're going to get like you know 10 cents a year from Spotify there's no touring anymore you're fucked but if you make music for old people you can make amazing but like last year or like a couple of years ago Bradley Walsh British fucking game show host released an album of like Rat Pack covers, which was like <laughs> mediocre. And he was the top selling physical album in the UK because the only people who were going to buy it were like over 60 and they don't know what Spotify is. <laughs> Cliff, <laughs> Cliff so- Richard is doing fine. Yeah, they're like, they're absolutely like, they are the fucking like, uh, you know, like they, the, Cliff Richard is cruising around in a fucking Escalade off the back of record sales. <laughs> I'm, take, I'm taking um, notes right now. I need to, uh, I need to explore other genres, yeah. other demographics. Make an album about like different laxative products, Dan. That could be a good, a good go for you. Have, have you considered doing a co-promotion with Depends or one of those showers that has a door you can step into? Yes. Yeah, the walk-in bath. Yeah. A concept uh, record about uh, Alzheimer's pills. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> it's um, just one track, but you can listen on repeat. <laughs> so the, and the, the point of discovery mode, right, is that um, Spotify's main thing, it tells people who sign up to it, especially the people who pay the premium fee, is like, hey, you know, um, 
we can give you more of what you like. You love discovering new music. You want to be the person who has all the new music. You want to stay on trend, whatever. So we're going to keep serving that to you. And you can just sort of buy your place in that queue of getting served to people. And it's not just discovery mode, though. It's also playlists. Spotify has like, I don't know, a few hundred in-house playlists that are now like basically a record, an A&R uh, unto themselves, right? Where rap, their playlist Rap Caviar is the world's most influential playlist with 7 billion plays. Um, and that you can like, you can, you have to, you, the artist, have to then pay a lot of companies to lobby Spotify to put you on Rap Caviar if you're a rapper. Yeah, th- um, this is this is a thing that I've I've gone through. Let's say three releases with now uh, the the two operators records and the last Wolf Parade record. Where when you sit down with the label at a marketing meeting, a huge chunk of it is now taken up by um, discussing how likely it is you're going to get tracks on these playlists and what tracks those might be, and that usually isn't the track that you've picked as the radio single because they're thinking about how these tracks fit in algorithmically with, uh, you know, user data and, and the rest of the stuff on this playlist, which is at that point completely imaginary. So, and the funny thing is, is you spend all this time doing it and there's almost no return back to the artist. Like there's so much labor and, 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 uh, contemplation over these playlists and, I think for bands like like Wolf Parade or, or Operators, it's it's just fucking pointless, you know? Well, because there's productive labor, right? Which And the productive labor is making the thing. It's creating the thing that had the commodity with the use value that people can use. The song, the linen coat, whatever. And then there's the unproductive, there's the unproductive labor, which is the like the advertising or the guarding it or whatever that only is imposed by like the logic of scarcity. And so... Yeah. And because these playlists are kept like artificially scarce because Spotify needs to be so huge because it only works if it's a monopoly, then it imposes all of this insane amount of unnecessary labor on everyone because or every, anyone who wants to be a musician, because basically just because it's able to have you do your job for it. Before you know it, you're making music that you think this like, you know, the, yeah, the meatball collective and Morgan Stanley <laughs> are going to like. I mean, I just love the idea that effectively this is just a much more professionalized version of like PayPaling someone who runs a big Facebook page a hundred dollars to like post something you want their fans to see. It, yes, it is. It's just, it is that it's exactly that, is that. that. That's basically criminalized if you do that on Facebook. But if you're a huge business, it's, it's just the normal way of go doing things. And that's, once you're publicly traded, it's impossible to commit a crime. There's an, another thing, though, where and this is actually from a forthcoming book by um, Cory Doctorow and Rebecca G- uh, Giblin. And um, he sent me this chapter because he knew I was, I was researching this, um, this bit. And I, I pulled this out, right? How many of you are familiar with a group called Epidemic Sound? I only know because I read the show notes. Yeah, but- an, an appropriately named collective That's for right. our time. This is from the book. One investigation found over 90% of tracks featured on Spotify's ambient chill list came from these mystery viral artists, all originating from Swedish production house Epidemic Sound. All of them originating from one wet market in Wuhan, China. (laughs) (laughs) No, you know what this is? You know what this is? This is a dark kitchen. Well, well yeah. hold on, uh, we, because we will see this. Now, leading artists such as Brian Emo and Bibio have been dropped out. Brian, Brian Emo? <laughs> Brian Emo. Shut up. 
Shut up. The name of the episode is Brian Emo now. I'm Brian Elmo. Don't Don't tickle me or I'll make a seminal album. Do not change the name of the DM. I swear to God. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, Uh, the suspicion is that Spotify has actually negotiated lower than normal royalties with Epidemic Sound and then prioritized its music to fatten margins. Um, a Spotify music insider confirmed as much to Variety, describing the practice as one of a number of initiatives um, internally to lower the royalties they're paying to major labels. Could save big money. Rolling Stone estimates that Spotify would have to pay out about $5 million in royalties to the top 10 fake artists it had been paying them industry standard rates. So it's basically slowly re- an ambient chill, probably one of the a playlists where you can tell least if you're listening to the real thing. Um, yeah, it's like music s- where people be fucking with someone they met on Tinder. <laughs> yeah, they are slowly replacing it with like like a genuine Ronex watch. <laughs> Just- <laughs> yeah, you see... Back in the day, we used to have Majestic Casual, and now it's just all this shit. Kevin Klein, yeah. They finally killed lo-fi hip-hop beats to chill, relax, and study to for this. (laughs) Yeah. 8tracks.com. Remember that shit? People might be expecting Krusty the Clown show or Itchy and Scratchy, but you know what? I'm sure Worker and Parasite (laughs) will be perfectly good for them. Actually, this ties in with something I also read about Spotify, which is a similar thing where there are these guys who are making thousands of dollars a month by creating mixes of just like white noise and stuff and uploading it and like saying like sleep sounds or whatever, because people will like search for that stuff and listen to it. And obviously it costs like nothing to produce and they just upload like hundreds of tracks like this to Spotify of just like noise. playlist. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. These are the people who are in the comments when you complain about Spotify. They're jumping in being like, well, I made $600 last month with my songs on Spotify. But what they're not saying is that they're, so- they're, they're spending most of their time uploading like generative ambient playlists, you know, which is work. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not going to say it's not work, but uh, I, I think it's interesting. It's like w- the way Spotify rewards people on the platform, it doesn't reward you know, uh, it doesn't reward touring musicians necessarily. It definitely rewards uh, people who put white noise playlists up. I didn't realize that Spotify had its own version of the Adobe ponytail dads that Nate and I often encounter. <laughs> where Whenever you go on the Adobe forums and complain about the way Adobe works or ask how to do something, there's a bunch of guys who don't work for Adobe, <laughs> but just like simp for Adobe, who are like immediately in the comments like, well, why would you even want to do that? It's actually good that Adobe doesn't let you do that. I, I love defending this huge corporation for free. Oh my God. Yeah. It's also, it's, it's also interesting because like, it's another example of how like Spotify follows a particular kind of platform from logic which tends to reward like very either like very low produced stuff or like reproductions and i think like you know so yeah. i'm a sucker for like the white noise playlists because i i have like the attention span of a baby um but what? no yeah i know right but like there's like fa- there's like there's thousands of like white noise playlists which are basically the same thing even though again like talking about comment sections what's very funny is that like you'll have commenters on like reddit who will actually be very serious and saying uh no well like this white noise uh sound is different because it like operates on like a different type of frequency or something oh, like no like, which is like, <laughs> yeah, anyway, anyway, that's, like besides the point but it's like one of those things where like you know it, it it's just like indicative of a kind of platform logic which will always sort of like reward like sounds that are like reproduced and whether that's kind of like reproduce white noise or again like algorithms that basically try to or they work their like value comes in like recommending things that you already like which you're more like you know so you end up kind of not really 
actually getting to explore or like invest in music mm. or a new artist or like even local artists, which is like a big you know problem with Spotify. But you end up just sort of getting this like minor gratification, which sort of gets you through your day rather than anything like long. Yeah, and, and everything's like, a copy of a copy of a copy, right? Yeah, right. It's the if you want to look at it from like the lo- just the logic of capital, right? From any kind of production, it's the the incentive of capital is to replace labor with itself, right? To automate more things, more things, more things to make the actual job of making a thing less skilled and more commoditized. So if you want to think of like the whole this whole process, the making copies of copies or the epidemic sound thing, right? What this really is is it is Spotify enclosing all of what music is, right? And then slowly using its own power to like replace the people who made the stuff that got you onto Spotify uh, with people they can pay less money to just kind of keep giving you the product. And all of a sudden, you look around and the product is way worse quality because it's been completely commoditized or created like automatically, which we'll get into. And Riley, I'm not sure where I'm turn. supposed to get my linen coats from yeah. if there isn't a playlist that's algorithmically generated <laughs> of lots of very similar linen coats that I can try on in sequence. But at, at that point, you have no more control because what music is is just determined by this one company. And this one company has realized that they can just tell you what it is and you have to love it. I just find it funny because it strikes me that this is you're basically... Uh, your standard Spotify subscription costs about as much as a subscription to Columbia House did back in the 90s where it had like the CD club thing. And it's, you know, you could sign up for a thing and you'd get CDs per month and then you could, you know, either opt to keep them or send them back. And it's like, except at least with this, with Columbia House, you were, there were physical copies of records being sold and they were being paid. I think the same royalty rates are close to it as opposed to you're basically paying that same amount, but you're getting the musical version of like the kids YouTube videos that are just like these horrible <laughs> amalgamated things of like, you know, of the yeah. just Batman slapping the shit out of Wonder Woman <laughs> while like a weird high pitched baby scream is happening in the background. Like neutral milk hotels heads get put on the bodies of the coops. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> John Cooks, uh, there's an idea. Sofa, sofa song, but in Korean. Um, so uh, there's a, a, there's a, right, and if you look at this right, so let's think about the net effect on culture. And one of the, my sort of favorite writers about this whole universe of, of things, the, the relationship between Spotify and culture and advertising and music, is the Baffler's Liz Pelly. And she talks about a great sort of aesthetic flattening. So I have a quote from her here. Said, Over the years, it has become clear that the platform rewards music that does well in the background as opposed to in the foreground. Music that can remain a background experience like emotional wallpaper, as one independent label owner described it to me. This has led in general to an aesthetic flattening. The more vanilla the music, the better it works in Spotify. There is at least a, there is a least common denominator effect in play, both in terms of the type of the artist who finds success, but more generally, just in terms of the types of songs that can survive in this environment. The, the data-driven in, uh, playlist environment, by design, favors the sounds that sound most seamless, the most unobtrusive, the most passive, the most unlikely to cause a skip or have you noticed them, or songs that fit into its prized genres of playlist, like chill. Yeah, that's right. And so it basically just makes songs that sound like sort of songs. It's, yeah. It makes songs that sound like all other songs that sound like nothing that you sort of don't notice, but that occupy your ears so that you, your tinnitus doesn't bother you. Did you enjoy the John Lewis advert? <laughs> <laughs> I have like a certain like, it's not really a theory, but it's more kind of like an observation, which is one of like, maybe these playlists do so well because they're like, if you go on Spotify, so many of the playlists don't actually like 
describe the music that is being curated, but it's like almost instructive of what you should be doing while you're listening to the music. So like things like beast mode are designed for you to kind of not just be going to the gym, but be by like lifting weights. There are like 120 BPM trading cryptocurrency um, playlists. There's like, you know, there are playlists for like, you know, things that you should do while you're cleaning the house and stuff like that. So it's kind of like, so, so many of like the top playlists besides being ones which are designed for kind of clout or um yeah or like vibes and stuff like that they're also just like things that are designed to occupy you while you do tasks and while you do work right so again that's actually for advertisers so the spotify has distilled music into about seven different moods uh and some key activities like cleaning yeah, the house melancholic and going to the gym. choleric yeah. sanguine <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> I, I love it when i i get the, the news that spotify has included me in one of their popular playlists but i'm then disappointed to learn the playlist is called luring kids into my van <laughs> <laughs> so basically, right, as you're saying, what happens there, and you're, you're sort of um, astute to notice this, is that Spotify then says, okay, dead all, um, advertise in our cleaning the house playlist. Uh, and I mean, that's an oversimplification, but not by much. Right. Where they have, they have these moods and activities that they've worked out because they look at the playlist that users make themselves, and again, for doing the labor for free. And then they aggregate all of that knowledge. And again, this is also in Liz Pelly's writing as well. She's very good about this. They aggregate that knowledge. And then in Spotify for brands, they then sell brands the opportunity to associate themselves with whatever mood they want to associate with or whatever activity they want to be associated with. So, yeah. you know, you will get, you know, adverts for you know, Black Rifle Coffee Company while you're in uh, beast mode. You're in your war crimes. <laughs> um, I was just thinking about that though, because it's like I do recall this debate happening in the you know late late '90s, early 2000s about syncs or you know about uh, synchronization for for ads and stuff, and whether or not bands should do that. But it's wild to me because this seems like it's basically giving the advertisers the benefit of that association with music without the payout to the the, the artists or consent. Like, yeah. <laughs> Jesus, I didn't realize that. So, so I didn't realize that that was a thing that you wouldn't even be notified about. No, of course not. Like your record label, you know, if your record label owns your masters, your songs are going on Spotify, whether you want them there or not. That's it. And podcast is on Spotify. And yeah, we we I, th- mm. I think our hosting platform. I don't even know if you can opt out of it. I mean, maybe maybe Spotify will cut us an exception and get rid of you us. Can, once this you can opt out. out of it. Yeah. I, know, I think it's very funny to be bitching about Spotify on Spotify, actually. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Deal with I, it, Spotify. I'm holding my iPhone right now. Yeah. Exactly. Um, exactly. Well, I mean, but but yeah, that's, that's the thing that, that kind of surprised me about it is just the extent to which it's, it's no, no longer uh, even really a question of whether you opt to associate music or any creative product with a brand at this point. But the payout is also... For one, it's like you said, Dan, it's not consensual. And then also like the payout is reduced to the point where it's basically imperceptible. At least that's what it seems like to me. Yeah, yeah, mm. that's pretty much it. I'm so glad we fought internet piracy and we have this now. Home typing anyway, is listen, killing music. <laughs> listen to my new playlist, Cleaning the Jungkooka. <laughs> I was really... I'm really glad that we can support our favorite artists now by, you know... Um, relentlessly streaming um, the Beast Mode playlist <laughs> so that uh, Trap will bring back its lead singer. I mean, look, right? I haven't listened... I I, I, I haven't like listened to new music for uh, a number of years and I'm not invested in any artists. However, without the Spotify algorithm, um, I would have never heard the song E-Girls Are Ruining My Life by Savage, Sav- uh, Savage Gasp and Corpse Husband. Um, I don't know if any of you had li- have listened to this song. 
Um, I know that Devon has. Uh, I don't know about any. I, I would encourage you to check it out. Um, <laughs> of course. But the lyrics, the lyrics are pretty fun. I want to read some. I just want to read a couple of lines out where it goes. She's a freak, little bad hoe. Gaspari told me to kill it. I said, let me grab my death note. She pulled me in like a lasso, saying that she know me even though I don't know her. Though, like I, I you know, without the algorithm, I would have, I would have never, I would have never like got any of that. So who can say whether it's good or bad? And that artist is getting very little money from streaming revenue, so you do need to buy their bathwater <laughs> no, I mean, if you enjoy no, that song. They do, I think they do have an OnlyFans. <laughs> I, mean, I think, oh, and I think music hell. is a way to get people onto the OnlyFans. Oh, I think Corp's husband has an OnlyFans where he reads creepypastas. <laughs> <laughs> Corp's husband OnlyFans where he fucks his dad. Yeah, so the um, the uh, so the, the the actual Spotify sound, right? The aesthetic flattening that's happening. Uh, Pelly describes it as a muted mid-tempo melancholy pop music that can fit in easily into a mood or affect-oriented playlist, um, citing an unnamed pop producer's song that people ask, uh, claim rather, that people often ask for, quote, a sad girl Spotify song in the studio. This often means a whispery vocal, emo-ish lyrics, and a low-key hip-hop-inspired beat. Its seamlessness and its chillness reflect music that has become entirely instrumentalized for the platform. Mm. Um, and so basically what's happened is I hope you didn't like music that wasn't that. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you don't make music that's not that because in either case, because it's one of these things, right? Where the, mon- the point of the monopoly is, is bigness and the point of, and you only work if you're big, if you can do one thing huge, right? And so that means what you have to do is you have to find, let's say 15% of people uh, who are listening to Spotify like that kind of music. They're Billie Eilish's. They have to be like, well, we have to sort of put this, we have to make everything just the average of this. And we have to let it be known to our labels who are our biggest opponents and also our owners and also our biggest suppliers um, that this is the kind of thing that we're going to want. And we have the power to make it more and more popular. And the more popular this is, the more we can sell ads. And so... And the, and also just the more we can keep serving people the stuff that they like, because we're not really serving people the stuff that they like. We're serving people the stuff that we want to serve them, because we know that that's kind of the easiest thing for us to pull off. Mm. I and mean, so I, I, I know I'm not. I'm, this isn't meant to be like making fun, but it's just it dawned on me that if you were a band who signed with like a like say like a minor label or something, but you went through the same processes to get on Spotify, and even if you were listed on one of these playlists, you might overall for that album make less in total revenue than the guy we saw on the YouTube stream who did that video about I think my dog's a Democrat, <laughs> like the like how shitty homebrew <laughs> country music, but that's made solely for YouTube. It's entirely possible that you know that guy got like ten million views. Isn't that something like fifty thousand dollars? I mean, it's it's also producing a type of artist where, like, so I've, I'm looking at like the top new artists of 2020 right now, and like it's guys like well, it's people like Dakiti Bad Bunny. I've never heard like any of these except for one, which is Tuzi Slide Drake, um, as Jewel Bavin, um, and then we get to like the artists like The Weekend and stuff. But like, I feel like the top three artists, at least from like how I'm looking at the moment, these are all like. YouTubers and Twitch streamers who have like made some music and they've got like a huge fan base who are just kind of like propelling their sales and everything. So like even that, like even like it, it feels like with the Spotify with like the Spotify system, um, it's really also rewarding people who uh do like the promotional work themselves, like cross platform, right? Or at least kind of like these other platforms kind of are much more instrumental to how well an artist does on Spotify rather than like. 
make just making music. Absolutely. It's uh, rewarding people whose main source of income does not come from Spotify. <laughs> yeah. And, th- and therefore, like the importance of a new artist is like to be a performer in general, <laughs> rather than like, you know, just like making music and like trying to kind of like make some kind of a living from it. Don't focus on anything and certainly don't take any time off. That's right. Yeah. Because you've just got, cause right. you've, cause you've just got to keep on posting and you've got to keep on making content um, to make everyone happy. Well, it's the um, it's the idea, you know, the, the whole point, right? The whole point of the entertainment industry, the culture industry, the ad industry, uh, everything is to make is to sort of take the distinction between consumers and producers of culture, destroy it, and then um, have everyone be contributing to that all the time, even in their leisure time. Mm. So the whole idea, right? Also that you can be someone who is a musician who isn't also rich, right? Like this is something that I think we, we talked about with Natalie Ola a few months ago with her book, Steal Everything You Can. Steal as much as you can, rather, right? Which is that one of the, there are many things that contribute to this cultural flattening. And part of them is the platform company's ability to determine, to just try to be bigger and try to make everything the same so it can be, so it can be bigger. But also part of it is that you're most likely to be a musician if you're industry connected or already rich. Yes. And that's, that is kind of something, uh, the music community, it's a conversation the music community does not want to talk about and has not wanted to talk about for the last, I don't know, ever since streaming kind of popped up and became such a huge part of this job is, uh, the sort of huge class, classic class discrepancy in, uh, in music making. So, you know, it's easy to be a low streaming uh, experimental noise artist living in Brooklyn if you don't have to pay your own rent, you know? Um, mm. And it makes it, that makes it very difficult to organize musicians uh, in, in any way. Like, I, I honestly, I don't know, this is a bit of a sidetrack, but I, th- I think until, until everyone involved is willing to have like a pretty uh, frank discussion about class in, in this job uh it's going to be almost impossible to organize against something like spotify i mean i think about that too also because of just the extent to which i remember this being a thing in the 2000s that it was it was considered such a a wild shock i remember hearing from friends um who were in bands that for example in places like canada it was possible to get a grant from the government to record an album i don't know if it's still possible to this day but i remember it is um, yeah there's a we've got you know, millions and millions of dollars in uh, factor funding. Uh, Quebec has its own sort of siloed grant system called SODEC. And it helps a lot of people keep the lights on, you know? Because we had this conversation with um, Alex Capranos from France Ferdinand when he talked about like, you know, he's he got into like his his band got big when he was, I think, in his early 30s. And he said when he was in his you know late teens, early 20s playing music, it was before they'd completely eviscerated the, you know, the, what we call job seekers allowance now in the UK. Okay. And he, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't luxurious, but he was able to live off what they called dole enough to be able to not have to be working, you know, 40, 60 hours a week to make enough money to be in a band. And that was able, he, he even said, he was like, I'm really grateful. And that was like instrumental to my success. And I think about that kind of thing that you know, people think, okay, well, you have you have Spotify, surely you have these platforms, you can make money as a musician. It's like, well, maybe when you get to a certain point, but that's not guaranteed anymore. And in most cases, it's not going to happen. And if, like you said, if you don't have money to fall back on, especially if you have like a year like this where you can't tour and thus the big source of, it sounds like the big source of revenue gets taken away, the people who can kind of weather this are people who've got money to begin with. And it's like, 
Well, if that's not you, then the the, the industry solution apparently is don't be a musician anymore. Yeah, or work yourself I mean, to death. I mean, this year is gonna this year is just gonna be a different type of flattening of uh, music in general. The people who survive it are definitely gonna be the people that for the most part have some kind of cushion, you know, and, and that is mm-hmm. going to cut out a lot of uh, voices from different classes, from people who, who basically had to sell their tour van to make rent or whatever, you know, sell all their equipment. So it's to yeah. the point now where if you want to like push the boundaries of what's possible in music, you basically have to, like your dad has to work at Raytheon. Yes. At this point. <laughs> it is, right? Like, or yeah, you, you, you may you need to be an extremely literally success- Lana Del Raytheon. <laughs> 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 well, I mean, I was thinking be an extremely successful, be like Twitch streamer and then be like, hmm, well now, now that I've achieved the success of getting a million followers on Twitch and I have enough money to survive, I can finally begin my, my, my true dream, which is being a musician a thing i haven't been able to work on forever because i have to spend my every waking hour streaming because it's it's a reliable source of income apparently and other stuff isn't. this is me spending years building a successful podcast and fictional dutch synth pop band so i can just be a stand-up comedian <laughs> <laughs> why is it so hard yeah. so many people tweet at me about theory i just wanted to make jokes in a dark room um, and the funny, like the, the thing is, remember, right? Of it all goes back to production of things people want, and it seems as though this is producing nothing of what anyone wants. It's making a lot of what Spotify wants, a lot of what Universal wants, but very little actual music. Mostly, the music seems like the last thing anyone's thinking about here, and that kind of makes everything worse for everyone. Except the two Swedish guys. Spotify is like the uh, late 80s God's plan of capitalism, basically, is what you're saying. Essentially, yeah. That's what we're... It's it's yet again, you know? It's uh, what the West imagined the Soviet Union would be like, and yet somehow worse. Um. So there's a, a few <laughs> more things, right? <laughs> Lo-fi beats to enjoy the Komsomol too. <laughs> uh, there's a, a few more things, right? Because their path to profitability... Ne- remember what Netflix is... Pa- this is... I'm going to put my tinfoil hat on now, right? Okay. I put my tinfoil hat on. Because Netflix's path to profitability was in-housing stuff. Try- basically trying to get it, get popular by like being able to you know get the rights to a bunch of shows that no network knew that it needed. And then get people onto its network by that way and then use that money to make its own content and now it's a movie studio. Spotify kind of has to do the same thing because mostly it just exists to channel money from investors to uh, rights holders and to Swedish men. And, um, and that's more or less it. And so what it has to do is, if it's going to be profitable, it more or less needs to start making its own content. And um, I don't think it necessarily wants to be the one uh, music label because it doesn't want to have to pay all that labor. Interestingly, and this is where the tinfoil hack goes on, they've recently filed a patent, and Dan, you and I have spoken about this, um, for, quote, the manual detection of music plagiarism, sorry, the the automatic, rather, detection of music plagiarism, uh, a software-assisted detection for text plagiarism um, that allows, and it's based on, uh, sorry, software-assisted detection of text plagiarism, and so what you do is you submit your stems or your masters to this thing, and then it analyzes them. And detects if you've plagiarized someone else. Oh, just just hand them your masters. It's fine. And the yeah. person they got, the person they got to make this was an AI expert called Francois Pache, mm-hmm. um, 
whose specialty is uh, making music using AIs, using <laughs> STEM. <laughs> cool. Uh, well, that definitely does what it says on the tin. No further discussion needed. Yeah, no further questions here. Oh, it's uh, they're protecting uh, they're protecting creators from uh, from copyright infringement. Oh, that shit annoys me so fucking much because it's like all this shit where like, oh yeah, copyright infringement is really bad for people who make stuff. So we're just going to like, no, it's not. It's bad for fucking huge corporations. It's not bad for people who make stuff. It's actually, it's much worse the protections they put in place for people who make stuff. Like if ever you upload anything to YouTube, heaven forfend it has even like a millisecond of copyrighted music in it or something. Because like, even if you've made an hour long video of original content, they will give a hundred percent of your royalties to like Warner Music or whoever. Because that one second of copyrighted music that you used as a transition is worth more than the entire hour of content that you made. Yeah, that's it. It's almost as though this is about uh, uh, economic power. Hmm. Yeah, the, the, couldn't couldn't be that. The really disturbing thing about this about this algorithm is it's it's not just a tool that they're uh, sort of offering to embed in the system, or that a tool that they're going they're telling artists they're going to use to uh, protect their copyright or whatever. They're actively pushing it as a songwriting tool. And in their press release, they're basically just jizzing all over themselves about how songwriters can use this in the songwriting process. So you're sitting down, you're writing a song, you're recording into Reaper or Ableton. You've got Spotify's plagiarism algorithm listening to everything that you're doing and giving you what they call a similarity value back. And not just for the whole song. But for tiny individual melodic phrases, uh, a chorus right down to like three notes of a hook. D minor. I don't know, dude. People have used that before. <laughs> well, basically, what we're saying is we've created a platform that requ- that em- emphasizes everything being similar to everything else. Hmm. But and you trains you to write songs like an algorithm. But equally, if you make something that's too similar, then it sends a shock to your caller. <laughs> I'm just laughing. I know I'm riffing off a joke you made on Twitter, Dan, but I'm loving the idea of like, you know, Spotify helpfully suggesting legal action for the Ramones to sue the Ramones because of their first album and their second album and their third album all sounding the same. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, we're, we're detecting we're detecting a similar chord progression. Uh, so basically what they're saying is, hey, um, to protect us mainly from uh, legal liability, uh, you need to train our AI for free, all of you. And it was made by the guy who also has released a multi-artist commercial album using AI. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Well, no problem yeah. there. It's a bit like when like Google Home like listens to your conversations or whatever. It doesn't remember them. It doesn't tell anyone what you said. It just listens to them this, just because it likes listening. Be if like Google like Home... This would be like if Google Home watched you doing your job and then tried to take your job from you <laughs> yeah i mean it sounds like you're describing google home to me <laughs> so what, what we're saying is you will come in to to record with your band one day and all of the other members of your band will be spotify but wearing their faces <laughs> that's right what are you saying i am the same guy from before i am not a swedish man <laughs> i'm not a swedish man who is also italian <laughs> you know it's it, it's me your friend who isn't swedish isn't italian uh we've known each other for years i cannot stand aber or uh, pedophilia <laughs> <laughs> here's a list of facts that only i would know yeah that's um, right 
you know, again, do, are they actually? Do I have any any reason other than my deep cynicism about um, companies? Well, I think uh, you've outlined a few. Yeah. Uh, well, it's my, I think, let's see. It's my, so, four, Spotify is trying to create an AI song generator so it can stop paying artists entirely. Is um, That's their business. That's the necessity of this platform entertainment business model. Two, they're not profitable and desperately need profitability. Three, they appear to have hired a guy who's mostly famous for doing that. And four, they're requiring everyone to uh, use it um, to train this thing. So I'm sure, I'm sure it's not, though. I'm sure it's fine. Um, yeah, it's going to be great. So um, look, I have a, a couple more things here. And then we can, uh, I, we can, we can, hey, we can say that this episode is, is wrapped and go back on our favorite moments. Uh, because at Spotify, you know, they, they do care. They're giving back to artists. Oh, good. Um, in 2020, well, this, good segment. Yeah, in 20, in 2020, <laughs> uh, this in in the year of like historic difficulties in making money as a uh, musician. Um, basically, what they are saying is, hey, we're going to give you back a little bit of money. Um, so they have partnered with 20 verified organizations around the world. They've called it the Music Relief Project after the very successful Comic uh-huh. Relief Project. I'm sure, I assume. Um, offering financial relief to music community members who are the most in need. Um, and they, uh, they, they, they made donations to verified organizations of up to $10 million, um, mm. which is pretty cool. They donated up to $10 million. For, market capitalization is, uh, what, like a hundred times that? Um, some like enormous amount. Um, and uh, additionally, they've said, yeah, they've also um, uh, uh, introduced a feature in April where uh, artists could um, support themselves and by you know, raising money for their bands and crews and so on uh, by partnering with Cash App. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, they I love to get a payday loan on my negative royalties. <laughs> they enabled hmm. fans to donate an additional million dollars. That's like $11 million. Hmm. Huh. That's okay, cool. I mean, sure, surely. Well, there's only a million artists in the world. Remember, they've already clarified that. So you just have to divide that by, well, a million. So that's what is that? Eleven dollars for everyone. That's eleven dollars for each artist. It's mm. lunch. It's fucking hilarious because the month before they released that in March 2020, uh, the U.S. government like mandated that mechanical royalty rates for streaming platforms uh, were going to increase under this new copyright legislation and. Uh, Every streaming service except for Apple just completely flipped out about it, except for the fact that in that legislation, uh, there is a lower royalty rate bun- uh, in, like, built in for people who have bundled or discounted plans. So that's like your Spotify family plan, whatever, if you entered a fucking promo code when you, when you got your Spotify. So any, any of that, they like that. They like the idea of playing less royalty. So what they did was that they retroactively applied that reduced royalty rate to the entire year while fighting the royalty increase in general in court, which resulted in a lot of artists getting negative royalty statements for the first time in their lives. You owe Spotify $5. The fuck? Fucking brutal. Were they actually actually chasing you for that money, or were they just saying, we don't owe you any money, technically you owe us money? I I think it's technically you owe us money. I don't see how they could possibly, like, prosecute that. But, like, but, yeah, to go from March 2020 pulling that shit, which which is still in court, 
And then in April being like, oh, we're saving music. It's mm-hmm. just... We're saving music by buying everyone yeah. like a slightly upscale sandwich. And Riley is just like Lucille Bluth. It's a sandwich. What could it possibly cost? Eleven dollars. And, and also, uh, you know, the, hey, they're um, th- so they're they're giving back. They're also giving a half a million dollars to uh, in to troubled venues around the country. Uh, mm. Mm. Oh, mm. troubled venues that, could, that could keep them open for literally thirds of days. <laughs> uh, right so i think that's that's kind of my that's kind of my my sort of my journey through through spotify dan do you have any do you have, have any sort of um any anything else you want to say any final thoughts on um this the streaming revolution that has saved us all from piracy uh yeah i mean i i think okay i think pre-pandemic the music industry was uh a house of cards, basically, you know, and and I think the pandemic has just accelerated uh, what was going to be the inevitable uh, monopolization of like huge, huge chunks of this industry. So with Spotify donating five hundred thousand dollars to venues like it's interesting to me because, you know, Mark Geiger, the, the founder of Lollapalooza, co-founder of Lollapalooza, also around the same time. Um, started this thing called, uh, I believe it's called Save Live. One word, two capitals. Cool. Yeah, okay. very, very cool. And that is an uh, initiative by Endeavor Music, the William Morris Endeavor Music Division. So his plan, you know, and I think this speaks to this like large monopolization that's, that's coming out of the pandemic, is to uh, give quote-unquote relief to venues, but that relief comes in the form of a 51% controlling interest for Mark Geiger, <laughs> you know? So, mm. so he is essentially trying to create a monopolized chain of like at-risk uh, properties and venues, uh, sort of consolidate uh, mid-level touring in North America to just one giant system. And it was I'm really generous of Tony was- Soprano to bail out all of these venues. I'm sure he's got no vested interest <laughs> in any of this and none of this will come back to harm anyone. Uh, I'm very excited to go see Wolf Parade at the Geiger Center, the Geiger Bowl, the Geiger Bowl. <laughs> <Yeah. Geiger, laughs> the Geiger Bunker. Geiger Tappen Bowl. I want to go and see Wolf Parade at Davy Scatino's outdoor activity store. Mark <laughs> Geiger. <laughs> I would love to play that. We'll put on a great show there. Oh yeah, in the tent. Right. You, 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 you can come out of the tent that he's in, and the crowd can say, "Don't try to fucking reminisce with me." <laughs> That's all right. Um, yeah, I think so. I think if there's anything we've learned here as well, right? It's that. Um, uh, the <laughs> the culture industry is one of the uh, you might say purest examples of um, cap of just capital just giving everybody except itself a gigantic middle finger um, in in terms of the provision of a product that um, might not necessarily be what you want and isn't what the people who want to be making it but want to be making but uh, oh boy uh, do the scion, idiot scions of the executives of Raytheon sure get to decide what everyone listens to anyway um, so I think with all of that, I want to say, hey, Dan, is there some kind of a Patreon people can find you on? Uh, there is. Um, I have replaced all of my income streams with Patreon because none of them exist anymore. So, uh, <laughs> uh, 
I have a Patreon. Uh, it's called Biblioteca. It's basically the operator's Patreon. So it's Devoika and myself, and uh, we do two to three pieces of music a month. And then uh, we've got a Discord that we've been streaming streaming movies on and hanging out with patrons. Uh, and honestly, it's been it's been pretty fun. It's been rewarding, but it also completely saved our asses this year. So, yeah, check it out. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you, Dan, again, for being on. It was great talking to you. And uh, we will see you all on the Patreon on Thursday or on the free episode next week. Later. Thanks Bye. for having me on. Bye, everyone. Bye. your shoes, Santa's bringing trees, he's in his sleigh with his friend Black Bee, polished for all so there'll be no tears, a honkball bat for some young dark vampire, Christmas time is coming, Christmas time is coming, Christmas time is coming, to Holland, oh yeah. Stand on the Christmas home. It's Christmas time with Johannes Vaughn. Stand on the Christmas home. Come put on your Christmas clothes. Stand on the Christmas stand on the Christmas home. Tonight. Oh yeah. Christmas tricks and in Denmark too. It's party time and we've made fondue Kids are waiting for the bells to ring For stroopwaffles and caroling Christmas time is coming Christmas time is coming Christmas time is coming To Holland, oh yeah Stand on the Christmas home it's Christmas time with Johannes Vaughn. Stand on the Christmas home. Go put on your Christmas clothes. Stand on the Christmas stand on the Christmas home. Just one thing you gotta keep in mind. It's a harmless Christmas tradition. It's a harmless Christmas tradition. It's a harmless Christmas tradition. It's supposed to be soot from a chimney. Stand on the Christmas home. It's Christmas time with Johannes Vaughn. Stand on the Christmas home.